You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m. And in it, I talk to someone who is a person of note. And some of you may remember that uh, a few months ago, I had a comedian on the program called Kedibone Mulawudzi. And following on from that, we have another comedian called Ronnie Modimola. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate the, the invite. You know, it's a great station, this, and I'm, I happen to be a huge fan, actually. Are you a regular listener? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm happy that you also added the number of the frequency to the... To the to the to the name to the name because before it was just classic FM and you know people yeah. would go through so many uh, stations just to find it so uh, kudos to whoever uh, arrived at that yeah. decision classic yeah. one zero two seven <laughs> and I see your shirt has got one eight zero four is this something else now oh no no I don't know what the, I think this is a freebie from. We were doing some uh, production, TV production called Next of Next Week. So one of the crew uh, uh, members happens to have this as a, as a, as his brand, and then he was just you know sharing them uh, with us. So okay. I thought it looked cool, and it yeah. does look cool. Uh, Ronnie, I'm just interested to know: in the world of comedy, are there rankings like he's a number one comedian, he's a number two comedian, or are you just all comedians? Well, if uh, COVID-19 is anything to go by, uh, what it has taught us is that we are all just members of the Salvation Army. And, uh, yeah, what we uh, – yeah, so, yeah, we are all just, you know, basic comics, really, you know, with special talents that uh, uh, we appreciate of, of, of each other. But I don't exactly know who the William Booth of the Salvation Army is uh, if 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 we are to use that uh, the, that yeah that analogy, you know. <laughs> and how long have you been doing this? I have started in 1998. Yeah, 1998. That's when I that's when I started. Um, yeah, but before I can go into that, maybe just to um, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm uh, I'm in love with a in a relationship, a romantic relationship, with an archaeologist. Uh, before I met her, she she dated a skull. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not a morning person, so I'm trying to uh, loosen up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I've started in '98, and uh, uh, I think uh, uh, yeah, if uh, anybody's to get credit from this, that would be Joe Parker. And uh, sadly, his uh, club was closed for good. Uh, as a result of COVID, but he's the guy that owned a proper comedy club and who kind of gave me a break to ply my trade there. And then I happened to be good at it, or so I thought, you know. And uh, and that was that was really cool. Uh, and yeah, but it uh, my very first performance was in Pretoria, in front of a a, a group of uh, a techies. Pretoria University students, which was a culture shock for me because I'm coming from Limpopo there, you know, doing English as a second language. And then uh, suddenly I have to be funny uh, uh, to these uh, people who are fresh out of high school 
you know, with their uh, prejudices as well about, uh, you know, their idea of a black person standing before them, uh, telling them jokes was something very new to them. You know, because what they are used to is, hey, see, Paul, when I come back, the swimming pool better be clean. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, and uh, and I would yeah, spot um, that uh, 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 that it was a culture shock from time to time. Because even after uh, performances, I'd have, you know, because we used to perform mostly to white crowds, and then uh, most of them would come to me and ask me if I write my own material. You know, even though it might have come from a good place uh, in their hearts or whatever, but there was a tinge of insincerity to it as well because uh, they just couldn't believe that, you know, uh, I was capable of, of doing that. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, a bit about, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, my, my journey yeah. in comedy. And yes. we're going to pick up on that in a moment. But let's yeah. listen to your first choice of music. And I have to say your your choice of music is very eclectic. It comes from various fields and backgrounds yes. and your first one is the piece is called Tarnam yes uh, just tell us a bit about it and then we'll listen to it well to be honest with you um, I know the the band I know the name of the song but I have no idea what the song is about you know and 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 it's not out of ignorance it's deliberate because sometimes some songs just impact upon you so beautifully you don't even bother trying to find out what the song is really about. You're just happy to have that uh, uh, face value uh, 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 relationship with it. And, and it's just one of those songs. And But at the same time, because I, I remember the first time I had the song, uh, it was at a friend's place. And then I got home and I listened to this uh, a particular song for hours on end on YouTube until I set myself down and I realized that, hey, this could be doing some damage to my uh, mental health. And because uh, that's that's how it is also with uh, 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 with 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 children. You you know, if a, if a kid obsesses over a toy for too long, uh, it could be a sign of of a mental problem, you know, which uh, parents must must heed and, and seek help. Uh, 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 for because the child is, is supposed to uh, outgrow the experience and move on to other toys. So, so that's how it came uh, to stop for me to 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 listen to that song. So, I'm, um, it's been a while since I've listened to, but I think it's a very very beautiful song. It's uh, it's just so soulful, and yeah, that's a, a bit about what I can say about about the the, the particular choice. Yes, here it comes. This is Imharan with a song called Taharnam. That was Imar Han, with a song called Taharnam, the choice of Ronnie Modimola, who is my guest in People of Note, and he's a comedian. But obviously you're not only a comedian because you've been in TV shows, or maybe you were in TV shows as a comedian. Yes, as a comedian and as a writer and a, and a performer for Piomonati show is a show that... Um, uh, when Kariso and David, Kariso Lidiha, David, Gau and Tepo Mohale came to Joburg, uh, uh, we we became friends, you know, because we were all comedians and bumping into each other at comedy clubs. And then Kariso um, told me about this show that was on the verge of getting a green light from the SABC because they had pitched it there. And then um, once we got the green light, he invited me. I had already scripted some 
some comedy news for it and, you know, had a few ideas that I shared with them that they liked. And that's how I became a part of this show that, you know, people are still clamoring for its uh, comeback because they enjoyed it so much. Uh, it, uh, it did have a cult following, uh, yeah, the Piamonati show. Very groundbreaking. And then from time to time, because it pushed the envelope quite a bit and the SABC was not ready for for a show like that. So we did get into trouble uh, from time to time. Yeah, We received many letters from commissioning editors saying, hey, you promised us this. What is this now? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and tell me a bit about yourself, though. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in, uh, I was born in Joburg and uh, in 1986 at the age of 10. Uh, my father took us from Joburg because there was just cool boycotts all the time. And then he took us to Limpopo. And, uh, yeah, uh, God bless his soul. He's no longer with us, a great man he was. Uh, and I think uh, him taking us to Limpopo was part of his um, a, a vision to have us get used to the place because um, it's a place that they bought in 1923, between 1923 uh, to 1927. And uh, for some strange reasons, because when you buy land, when you... Uh, uh, when you bought land in those days, you needed the signature of the nearest Koshi or chief. So the chief that bought the land on our behalf, that signed, sorry, that signed on our behalf, uh, took advantage of uh, some resolution that, uh, proclamation that the Lubuakom government arrived at and put the land under his jurisdiction. But uh, fortunately for us, his competing land claim failed and ours was found to be compliant and uh, so, yeah, part of my growing up was there, and uh, I got to, uh, and I think uh, my, the, the, how I discovered my funny bone was as a result of being there, apart from falling from my father's bucky, uh, driving back from taking out the garbage, uh, it might have come from getting hit by a cow I was trying to milk. You know, so, uh, yeah, some bone felt funny afterwards. So uh, I think. Uh, <laughs> so, but you had a bit of um, urban living and some rural living. Yes, yes. And uh, and were you always good with people? I, I don't know, but I remember, like, the, through my processes of education, like during breaks and that sort of thing, I was always surrounded by friends. You uh, know. So you realized quite early on that you could entertain people. Yes, I think so. I think because so. there was just people and I would just fabricate stories and, you know, people would be laughing and that sort of thing. I think, uh, yeah, that's what inclined me toward a career in, 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 in comedy. So do you see yourself basically as a storyteller? Yes, yes. yes and of course, so. storytelling in Africa is a big thing. It is a big thing, and uh, as part of my retirement plan, I'd like to, which must that very soon, actually, because I love writing, and I'd love to get into the, uh, uh, into writing books, you know, because I enjoy reading them as well. So, uh, so that is, um, yeah, I do love storytelling. Yeah. Well, and talking of retirement, uh, your next song is called "We Have All the Time in the World." This is Louis Armstrong. Let's listen to it. That was Louis Armstrong with We Have All the Time in the World. In the world. And uh, when we speak about Louis Armstrong, I know that there are some for whom his legacy flew in the effort of the, uh, uh, in the face of the effort they were trying to put in. 
you know, in their in black Americans fight against the injustice there. And um, and yeah, some thought that he was genuflecting too much, you know, at a time when it was incongruent to be uh, doing that because it did not correspond with the reality of most uh, blacks there. But I mean, if you listen to all his songs, and I'm in love with all of his songs, you know, it spoke of a different uh, kind of philosophy with which he approached his life. And maybe there is a a leaflet we can lift from his uh, from his book there, uh, 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 Mister the Legendary Louis Armstrong. And what a great musician! What a great singer, also. Yes. So, have you taken inspiration from various sources when you start your storytelling in public? Yeah. Where do you get your material? Is there material all around us all the time, or where do you collect your material? Um. Yes, life uh, from from loving life, from loving people, genuinely so, and uh, from loving being creative. You know, because I, I, I like what what I find with most comedians is that we we prefer to approach life as it is lived in slightly different off center ways. You know, and uh, uh, with me personally, I kind of try to leave current knowledge behind and I go somewhere into the future because I'm into dry humor. So that involves a lot of fabrication and that sort of thing. So I just go into the future somewhere and uh, I come back uh, to that current knowledge with something which I might have imbued with my own, you know, flavor, you know, and uh, that's what the crowd appreciates. And that's what makes me stand out in the way that I do it. Uh, yeah, it's because uh, they say that um, uh, the function of the brain is to is to is to funnel our thinking to stop us from being overwhelmed by things that we should otherwise be perceiving. So I try to go into that space and and perceive those things, you know, which is what creativity allows us to to do and imagination, you know, it's a. Uh, We're going to listen to your next choice, which is the song for Adeline by Richard Clayderman. And then I want you to talk to me about language and the use of language and how many different languages you can be a comedian in. But let's listen to Richard Clayderman first. Okay. Thank you. That was Richard Clayderman with a song for Adeline, the choice of Ronnie Modimola, a comedian who's my guest in People of Note. Ronnie, you're very fluent in English. Thank uh, you. But I guess not all your audiences are English-speaking. Yes. So how many languages can you be comedic in? Um, I'm, uh, I'm good in northern Sesotho. Northern Sesotho, Tswana, and South Sesotho are dialects, obviously. Was but that your home language? Yes, yes, yes. Nothing so is my is Pedi. my, is my is home. Pedi, Pedi, yeah, 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 yeah from uh, from Leboa in the, in yeah. the north. So we do. Uh, there was a time when English was um, uh, like like the, uh, the English comedy was considered mainstream, but the uh, comedy has since overtaken that as the most attended uh, the uh, 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 comedy. Like, like, yeah, as a, uh, like what we find is that uh, 
it has outgrown the English side of 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 of, of comedy. The Venex space is is very big, uh, sold out venues, you know, which was uh, unheard of, you know, at some point when we started in comedy thinking that it was just a flash in the pan. You know, we had never uh, uh, envisaged it growing to uh, the level that that it is at now. Give us an idea of where it is now. So when you perform, let's say we're not under COVID restrictions. Yeah. Do you perform every week, several times, once, once a month? How often do you perform? Well, uh, I would say weekly or almost weekly or fortnightly. Uh, yeah, like uh, there was a time when we were spoiled for choice, like with the many comedy clubs that were all over the place. And then you get to do a spot here, a spot there. But when it comes to, uh, yeah, even in the Venex space, but the problem with the Venex space is that the the venue owners don't always understand or respect the the craft it's they treat it as a restaurant business saving thing where they invite the comedians to and then they pay you from the money they make either from the bar and then what we would prefer is for people to part with a bit of something at the door so that they get to appreciate it yeah so it's not food with comedy it's yes. comedy Full stop. Yes. Or Co- comedy yeah. with maybe a drink on the side. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's how we prefer it. But, yeah, uh, but, yeah the, the, there was a time when, when gigs were all over the place. I don't know if we will ever get back to how we used to do it. But it is, it is, it is huge now. I mean, uh, guys have moved on to do uh, movies, TV. I mean, you look at Trevor. Um, I don't think in his wildest dreams he... Ever thought that he could replace? This is Trevor Noah. Yeah, Trevor yeah. Noah. He could be replacing yeah. John Stewart yeah. uh, in in America, and be able to 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 do what he loves. So so it shows that you know the possibilities are are plentiful. But that's about as big as you can get, isn't it, Trevor Noah? Now, yeah, the job he's got. Yeah, yeah. And can one make a living from just being a comedian? Well, Trevor Noah can. Yes, but yes. can you? I have. I think I have because uh, I've never uh, uh, held a nine-to-five since '98 when I started when I started in comedy. And I remember the week I, you know, things started shaping up for me because I mean it is through work that we can give shape to our lives. I received a call from an interview I had attended, and it was you know conveying good news that you know I actually got the gig, but I had to say no, thank you. Um, I'm happy to be living my dream now. So I have done that. And even that land claim that I told you about, most of it was funded with money made from from comedy to like just, you know, the lawfare that was involved in that. So, so it is doable. And money follows talent, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Uh, okay, your next choice is Jimmy Durante. Uh, I'm the guy who found the lost chord. Oh yes, yeah, no, Jimmy. Jimmy was the man, the man with the big nose who could sniff the air for great ideas such as that one, and um, yeah, and he was funny. He was very funny. So I appreciate the fact that hey, he's uh, he plays the trail. You know, without people like that, we wouldn't be here. So it's uh, it's my appreciation of uh, of his work. Yes, Jimmy Durante. I'm the guy who found the lost chord. That was Jimmy Durante at the movies. 
This is the choice of Ronnie Modimola, who's my guest in People of Note. Ronnie, I've got another important question for you. Uh, is you, You've lived a life both in a city, in a big city like Joburg, and yes. in rural areas. When you do your comedy shows, you can do them anywhere, I guess. It doesn't have to be rural or urban. Mm. But the type of story you tell, does it change depending on where you are? My approach has always been universal. Like, um, I remember I, I, I did have the opportunity to go to London. There was a festival that uh, Sam Hendricks put together for South African comics for the experts uh, that side. And, uh, sorry, it was my first time getting out of South Africa, you know, getting on a plane, like long-haul plane to London. And... Uh, the good thing about my approach to the writing of comedy is that I did not have to change much because, you know, you can kind of get away with a lot if, you're, you're, if it's dry humor, uh, you know, because it, it, it employs a lot of subtlety and uh, characterizations and that, that, that kind of thing. So I, wasn't, I didn't feel out of place. And then while we were there, uh, Malcolm Hardy, whom we met when he visited South Africa, some crazy... A uh, legendary British comic. Uh, yeah, he invited us to his uh, place. I went there with Martin Jonas. I was worried because when we got there, they heckle a lot. If you're terrible, they go, taxi, taxi. And if you happen to be good, they go, Malcolm, pokem, pokem. And I happened to be uh, 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 the one that they advocated for a booking for. So so that was that was, that was was nice. And I thought I could live there, but unfortunately... Because of this land situation I'm involved with, I had to come back. Yeah, so so I to answer your question, I I can live in many communities, and so can many other comics. And your sense of humour can appeal to British people or South African expats living in Britain, or Germans or whoever can understand whatever language you're speaking in. Your humor appeals to a wide range of people. Yeah. Like, uh, for example, today I was having a smoke, and then this lady approached me, and she said, excuse me, sir, no smoking allowed. And I said, I said excuse me, ma'am, I'm not smoking allowed. <laughs> you see, like a joke like that could survive anywhere in the world. You know? And I don't know why people... Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just joking, but I was just uh, trying to give an example yeah. of the sort of uh, <laughs> <laughs> the subtle humor. The subtle humor, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's always about keeping it between the lines. From time to time, yeah, there will always be the usual su suspects, you know, the politicians, and you have to take it there. That's our responsibility, which is something they do not always understand. Politicians thinking that you know, because maybe you're a black comedian, you're not supposed to be talking ill against a black government and you know it's, uh, it would be uh, uh, wrong or remiss of us to not do uh, 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 play a part in correcting some of the yeah, madness yeah humor can be quite powerful yes yes and are you do you do comedy on the political side as well or not yes i do a yes, lot yes i do yeah it, it happens, yeah. Uh, uh, it's 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 not an obsession of mine, uh, but I do, I do because you know uh, it's also about 
being current. And if something current happens, you can't help but share it with, uh, with your audience. You know, but you soon uh, fall out of favor very quickly. And you know, it's a dangerous space to operate in. But we have to, because uh, if you do that, and chances are uh, the lesser corporate gigs you're going to get if you, if you do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you need to prick bubbles every now and then. Yes, yes, yeah. No, Big we, time. We have to. We yeah. have to. Your next choice is by Vangelis. It's the famous Conquest of Paradise. That was Conquest of Paradise by Vangelis, the choice of Ronnie Modimola. Ronnie, a couple of times you've mentioned the land in Limpopo. Yes. Uh, It's obviously a big thing in your life. I mean, you said you came back from the UK. You could have settled there, but you came back because of the land. Yes. Tell me about this connection to land that you have. Well, um, I grew up... Uh, witnessing a lot of the sufferances that my father had to go through fighting for this land. It did not come as a result of the window that the government opened for people to come and lodge their claims. Soon after they realized that they had been swindled swindled out of their sovereignty to to the land, they started fighting for it. This is by the chief. Yeah, yeah, against the chief, against the Libuakoma government, and then they've been fighting. I mean, I have... uh, uh, paper trail upon paper trail of the, the, the journey that they had to travel. And then I was in, because uh, I know that m- most young people do not care so much about land. And, uh, and I've also seen how in, in that space st- stands are sold for like 300 bucks, a 30 by 30 uh, square meter uh, uh, a stand sold for 300 bucks. Somebody puts up a tavern. You know, and then another does the same thing. Now the whole community is drowning in, 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 in alcohol and alcoholism. And so I thought, look, I need to do something about this, you know. Um, and then I stepped in. I started attending the meetings. And, uh, and yeah, it was because uh, I could see that they were going absolutely nowhere with it. And government people are saying, stay away from lawyers. You know, we are here to assist you. But year in, year out, nothing happens. And then also my getting involved was not to do it for myself. I'm also doing it for, you know, uh, uh, those that are, are coming after me. But another thing that I discovered uh, with this whole thing is that uh, the government does not really want to give land back to the people because we were also pushed to receiving alternative relief in the form of money because we were told that, look, the land is developed uh, you have to take the money. But we're saying we live here. We have uh, history here. And, um, and yeah, just this whole thing did not make sense to me. And, yeah, that's how I got involved. It's that important, but also not to say, look how much land we have, but to put it to good use for the betterment of the entire society. That's the, that's the whole plan. But they must start from descending it to the rightful people as an inseparable part of our inheritance because we'll care for it more than anyone else who's just there for. And do you still feel an attachment to that area and that land? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm forever there. Yeah. And I am, I am forever and there. And do you have a house there too? Yes, yes. Yeah. We, do, we do have a house. We've got family, you know, so that's where I feel... Unfortunately, I can't catch Classic FM when I'm there. 
<laughs> but but it's uh, but you if, can if, catch it quite on, far because it goes on, almost up to Bila Bila. Yeah, that's why I lose it every time I drive to Limpopo. I get to Wombats and I drive a bit into Mudimole, and then it starts getting distorted. You yeah. know, unfortunately. But yeah, I I always enjoy the the the, the music. Well, we're going often. to listen to the flower duet now uh, by Delib. It's from the opera Lakme, and then I want to know what it is about the music that we play that you like. So here it comes, the flower duet from Lakme. That was the flower duet from uh, the opera Lakme by Delib, the choice of Ronnie Modimola. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and every Sunday from 6 to 8, we have someone in this program who is a person of note, and we listen to music of their choice. And I'm interested to know how and why you started listening to Classic 1027 and what it is about the station that you like. Well, my relationship with uh, Classic FM started when we were very, very young. My mother used to subject us to... There was a program. (laughs) I don't know which radio station it was exactly at the time, but they played a lot of radio dramas and then intercepted with a lot of classical uh, music that, that happened. In English? In English, yes. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was probably English. the old uh, English radio service. Yeah, 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 yeah it was. And uh, songs like uh, Pachelbel. Yes. Yeah, was uh, one of the songs that I used to hear a lot as a child. And then uh, I can't, um, I mean, all I can say about it is it's, it's, it's moved things within me of the strings that it was pulling. And, and, and I still appreciate it to, 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 to this day. You know, so so yeah, it, it's, it's it's I've come a long way with the with the station, and also um, the the Zibongilo Kumalo and Pretty and the choice that I made. It was more of a tribute to to Zibongilo Kumalo because we no longer have her, and it's a great loss. And um, yeah, so it's my appreciation of her contribution. Well, and talking of string pulling, as you did then, uh, this is the Pachelbel Canon that you mentioned, uh, a very famous piece. Uh, he's a sort of one-work wonder, is Pachelbel, because you very seldom <laughs> hear other pieces by him. Oh, but yeah. this canon is a famous one. Here it comes. That was the famous canon by Pachelbel, the choice of Ronnie Modimola, my guest in People of Note. Yeah, we've got some great singers in South Africa. In fact, we've got some great performers mm. all around. Yes. Uh, I mean, COVID has had its effect on everyone. But we're going to come out of this, too, yes. and then we can get rolling again. Oh, yeah. Have you got plans for when things, or maybe you've started already, have you continued to work uh, under the COVID restrictions? Look, uh, when the restrictions were relaxed a bit, we did, we tried, and then we were soon thrown back into level five. So that made uh, things difficult, and you can't really blame anyone for it, because none of us were prepared for the twists and turns of the this COVID 19's crazy progression and you know we never thought that we are it's going to come very close to home you know and that sort of thing so it's been it's been difficult and because of that uh, the unpredictability of it all we we don't know what's next but uh, i've been trying to get more into the digital space uh, uh, of things it's, it's never been my thing i'm too much of an old soul you know, I just woke up to computers recently, you know, starting to understand how 
the social space operates. But I see it as the way of the future. You know, uh, there's something Riyad Musa does that he uh, 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 invited me to. That, yeah, yeah, what he does is like uh, he he does it. It's sort of like a Zoom sort of like meeting. You see faces on the screen, people sitting in their houses on their sofas and that sort of thing. And then he performs to a screen. But at least you can see a reaction. And it saves people the travel, this, uh, trouble of having to travel to spaces and worrying about the uh, beverage bill and that sort of thing. So it's cool. And tell me about audience reaction. How important is that to you? I mean, can you tell us, you say your humor is a dry type of humor. Yeah. Can you tell it straight to a screen without an audience reaction or do you feed off the audience reaction? I think it's important to to feed off. You need you need to you need to connect to something. You know, Kiriboni uh, that you mentioned. Uh, the other, I mean, uh, at the beginning of this program, I was at his house. We were working. We were busy working on some show together. Uh, I was at his house. He's doing a corporate gig, and then he goes. He excused himself from the table, went and put on a suit. You know, and I was even making fun of him because he put on some perfume just to perform to a screen, which I thought was was crazy. But, but yeah, and 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 the problem with what he was doing is there was no reaction. It's just him talking to a screen. Then no laughs, nothing. And I think it can wrench your soul a bit because we we care more for for that human touch. You need and, that energy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you do you work with other comedians as well? Yes. Yes. Uh You don't feel there's too much competition. No, as long as it doesn't get to a point where we start shooting each other like taxi drivers, then I think we can we can coexist, yeah. <laughs> the competition is good, but I've never been one to care so much about. I'm very I do things at a very chilled pace and I'm happy for other people because the thing with talent is how do I compete with somebody else's talent? It's a sacred thing. I don't know where it comes from. I can, you know, only appreciate uh, what they have to offer. Sometimes somebody comes up with something that I wish I thought of, but hey, that's just how that cookie crumbles. Yeah. Tell us about Liberace and the typewriter song. Yeah. Well, I was torn between the Anderson gentleman who came up with it and, and Liberace, but, you know, I then settled on Liberace because he was just this flamboyant uh, character with that unctuous smile of his that, uh, yeah, ingratiated himself with every audience that he was exposed to. So he was, um, he was I think, what I secretly wish I can I can do do things in a very big way, but unfortunately, I'm very chilled. I'm very modest. You're a quiet my, guy. Yeah, I'm a quiet guy. But I see how that works for some people. Because, I mean, um, yeah, he was good, but it was the flamboyance that, that, that made it tick for him. So here it comes. This is the typewriter song by Liberace. That was Liberace with the typewriter song, the choice of Ronnie Modimola. So, Ronnie, when you... You don't have this flamboyance with candelabra and white pianos. And, <laughs> but do you have any signature trademarks that people would recognize? Like uh, with some of the characters I play, like um, from the Pio Manati show, there was a character called Side Pocket, which is a vehicle I use when I do uh, vernacular comedy. 
Vernac comedy. I do side park it because it's easily recognizable. And it's an opportunity for me to hide behind a character and spew some, you know, uh, like and share a, a, a mad side of me. You become know. someone else. I become someone else, yeah. It's a, it's a very crazy character, but very brilliantly delivered. And it's quite funny. As well. And I find that it's funnier than when I'm just running on stage. You know, something about people, they, they, yeah, they have a thing for, I don't know, uh, yeah, a thing for that kind of thing. Uh, well, there the are several people who do that. I mean, I think of Peter Dirk Ace, who can be several characters. Yes, he yes, puts yes. on a hat and he becomes someone yeah, else. Yeah, he's legendary for, for yeah. doing that, yeah. Uh, but that's not your trademark. You do that, but it's not your main occupation. To a certain extent, it is because, like, even when I want to touch on politics, it's easier to do it through the side pocket character than when I'm just Ronnie. You know, the, what I also find strange about audiences, and maybe our audiences need to evolve a little bit, you know, compared to um, uh, uh, overseas comedians that we got to perform to. Here they make us work too hard. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Who minds working hard? Yeah, well, you know, you want to make it easy for the comedians and just meet them halfway, but they just want to be spoon-fed uh, all the time. But sometimes you want to invite uh, your audience in, in, into your world. And, 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 and yeah, because and, and you don't want to insult their intelligence as well. So, so how do you judge an audience? When you first go onto the stage, because this is a really interesting thing for me, when you first go on the stage, yeah. you think you're going to talk to a certain crowd of people, and you yeah. discover after your first joke or two that it's not, the reaction is not what you're expecting. Yes. What then? <laughs> <laughs> And that that does happen often, yeah. Does it happen often? Well, you have, you do, we all have our bad nights, you know. But unfortunately, it's been, it's, I've had good shows, uh, not to, I don't mean to blow my own trumpet here. But I have had many, I think with experience, you're able to know how to handle that and not mind humiliation so much because it happens. The only problem is uh, when then... Uh, it's that's affecting the crowd's confidence in in your ability, and they start to question it. Uh, uh, you know what? How they would like uh, the advice you'd get when we started was, you know, try and get them. You know, uh, with your first minute, if you lose them, then it's going to be a, a very difficult uh, problem, predicament to get out of. So it's if you can maybe you deliver your first gag and then it does not land well make sure that you win at least with your second or your third so that you don't fall into that trap of them questioning. But it's an interesting balance to know what a crowd is going to like. Yes. So do you have yeah. a sort of standard opening gag routine? Yeah, the routine, a routine does help. Uh, and you need to have some aces that you can always fall back on, you know, when when something hits the fan. So... <laughs> But but yeah, also I think uh, just having understanding human behavior, you have to be a, a, you know as have a psychological approach to it as well and understand what people's because what we I mean we perform to people who come from all sorts of cultural backgrounds 
as well as religious and you know just observing the sensibilities and knowing how to you know meander your way you know through a crowd and through their way of thinking how to tap into those uh, recesses of their of their hidden world you know it it helps it helps to understand the world of the the world of your audience you know do you think you know our audience on classic 1027 Yes, I definitely do. Yeah. You do? Yeah. <laughs> I know they don't like hip-hop, so... <laughs> <laughs> and rap. And rap, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, your next choice is a very interesting one because this is someone whom I've only recently come across. Yeah. This is Florence Price, who is uh, a black American female composer. Yes. So... In her world, she had a lot stacked against her. Oh, definitely, yeah. Female, black, yeah. in America, in the world of classical music. Yes, yeah. What I appreciated about her is that not only is she the first black African-American woman to, um, to be recognized for doing, um, uh, what do you call it, uh what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Composition. Classical? Uh symphonic yeah, composition. Yeah, yeah, symphonic yeah, yeah. compositions and being recognized for that as well as uh the one who's who was first to have her composition uh, played by a major orchestra. I mean uh what the the reason I I I chose her is 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 exactly what again inclines me to what a conviction that it's not actually sport like some people would like to believe that actually brings together but it is music uh, the way that I see it for her to have done that at that time you know because with sport I mean we all know that disagreements about uh, one's favorite team could lead to all sorts of uh, violent incidents and uh, you know so it's inadvisable to nail your colors to the mast regarding that so for me it's uh it was uh, i need i needed to appreciate that because it comes from a very special place to be able to do that in that context uh and 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 be that good at it so so and, and she, be and be a woman yeah and she was a very modest person also yes. so she wasn't yeah. in your face yes and she wasn't going to yeah. fight everybody to yes. to make herself heard. Oh yes, yeah. She have, wanted people to come to her. Yeah. Just because they liked her music. Yeah, that's which is what we we want with uh with our jokes for the people to meet us halfway, which is how she she accomplished that so beautifully, yeah. And this is the first movement of her sonata in E minor. This is Florence Price. That was the first movement of the sonata in E minor by the Black American female composer Florence Price chosen by my guest Ronnie Modimola. An interesting comparison there with you, because I, compared to uh, Kedibone Mulaudze, yeah. who I, I remember very well, yeah. was much more in the audience's face, even yeah. here on the radio, <laughs> than you. I can feel that you're a sort of more laid-back person. Yeah. So I guess your type of humor is very different to Kedibone's? Yeah, I don't know. My approach to life has always been uh, from the point of view that, you know, less is more. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's I don't know, it's not even like a, 
a fake imposition onto the the, the 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 people I come into contact with. It's just how I've always have always been. You know, my my it's my approach to life. I it's like uh, yeah, some uh, it's like how I believe we should be impacting each other, how we should be touching each other. Just you know, easily so. Life should be that fluid. Not that what Kiribone was doing was wrong, being in yeah. people's faces. Yeah, it's, no, uh, you know, each yeah. to their own. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I just, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to make any comparisons, but I just, yeah. I remembered when we were in the studio. Yeah. He was quite uh, flamboyant and he was sort of, you know, going yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, I studio. also have to keep him at arm's length when, I, when I'm, when I'm <laughs> working with him because, yeah, he ends up interfering with my personal space. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 do do comedians ever work together on stage? Yes, all the time. All the time. All the time. We get a, we get along very well. Like I refer to us as the Salvation Army. That's kind of what we are. You know, we we care for each other. From time to time, look, there will be egos that need to be tempered uh, down. Uh, uh, but uh, you, we we with me, it's more about the bigger picture. You know, like even with Kiribona, I mean, there was a time when we had a bit of a falling out, I think, because uh, he owed me some money. And, uh, you know, but I tend to overlook that. And the, it's the work that we must create because our audiences would prefer for us to be doing that and not fighting. So so we best of friends. Yeah. <laughs> and with many other comedians. And as well. with many other comedians. Yeah. yeah. Are there lots of them? Plenty, plenty, plenty. Of Too comedians. many, maybe. Yeah, look, they, they are, uh, it's a big industry. And then um, there are some who are exceptionally good and care that much about the industry, and they bring something new to the table. Some warm over ideas that, uh, were, that they get from somewhere else, and, you know, and they, it's more about the delivery with them and that sort of thing. But, but it's, a, it's a big industry. Growing? Yes, Lips and yeah. bounds, yeah. Really? Yeah. Even under lockdown? Even under lockdown. Maybe especially under lockdown. Especially under lockdown because uh, uh, what that did was throw people out of their comfort zones. And, you know, most that I've spoken to, either somebody's either writing a script for a film or, you know, doing this, preparing, you know, some specials for one-man shows and, and that sort of thing. So, so it has had its benefits. Your next choice is a piece called I Do by Alifarka Ture. Yes. Does it mean I do as in I do? Or <laughs> is it a the, joke of some sort? No, no. The song is actually about uh, the importance of protecting the sanctity of trust. And, and it also conveys a message that there is strength in trust. And the relationship is very important because he met Raikuda when he visited London and presented him with his most uh, prized possession, which was a one-stringed uh, violin that I think it's called Njakel or something, Njarkel, that in Mali, I can't speak the language. But yeah, I bought, I, I mean, I was exposed to him when I bought Radio Mali, one of his albums. I didn't buy it, actually. I stole it from City Warehouse <laughs> because uh, <laughs> just to satisfy my kleptomaniac tendencies. So now I'm joking, I bought the, the CD, even though it was very expensive. But then that was very good. Uh, you know, there was immediate connection between the two. And then they talked of doing something in the future, and that happened in 93, I think. And, yeah, as he's just amazing. He was amazing. 
and it's an amazing song as well. It's called Aidu Ali Farkature. That was the Malian uh, musician Ali Farkature with a piece called Aidu. What are your plans? Where can people see you if they want to see you in the uh, next few weeks, let's say? In the next few weeks, I know we have a, a show. There's a sitcom we did. I don't know. My problem is, you know, sometimes I get, I tend to get too relaxed. I don't know if it's on SABC 1 or 2 or Three or Somewhere it, on SABC. Or, or, or is it uh, on Zanzi platform? I can't remember, but it's called Next of Next Week. It's a sitcom we did with Deprente, directed by Garab Lidiha. Very good, uh, better than some of the uh, previous offers we did. I, I felt that the level of humor was kind of uh, better, and uh, it's called Next of Next Week. It's somewhere there. Uh, <laughs> Somewhere there, next of next week. Yeah, next of next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a wonderful expression, actually, because you're yeah. not sure when it is. When, Just when next it is, of yeah, next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> and it's such a South African expression. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, you don't get that anywhere else in the world. Yeah. So, which is what makes our country so beautiful. So, somewhere on SABC, next of next week. Yeah. Apart from that, there are. Yeah, we're just waiting for shows. I've, I do have some inquiries. The we I think we're doing a show on the twenty sixth this month at the Royal Marang Hotel. It's a stand-up show that we're going to be doing. People can come through and, um, yeah, and come have a good time with us. So there's shows like that that we do. From yeah. And online? Have you got stuff online? No, no. That's something I'm waking up. Like YouTube, what I have on YouTube is some of the material from the TV shows I've done. But I need to put my stand-up on there, which is something I'm working on, yeah. Well, here's someone who appears on TV and radio quite a lot, Catherine Jenkins. <laughs> I will always love you. That was Catherine Jenkins with I will always love you sung in Italian. Yes. So, and, and, and what I can say about that song is that I, I too, will always love that song. And, uh, you know, because I... And for me, it makes the Whitney Houston uh, one as well as the Dolly Parton one seem like decent covers of this one because this is very very good i mean it was it just did things to me uh, when i first heard it so so i appreciate it that much yeah and you're obviously strongly connected to your land as you said uh, in lepalale mm. and family are you a big family man yes through and through i don't have any kids of my own uh but I, I mean, if there is one thing we are there for is each other, you know, with my family. And, yeah, that's something you can't take away from us. We are a very closely knit family. Uh, and and it, it, it has always been that way. There's nothing I can say uh, negatively about my family. So, yeah, we are we're a good family. And But you live most of your time here in Joburg, do you? So you have... Two homes, really. Yeah. Lepalale and here. Yeah, my mother sometimes uh, is here and sometimes she's in the, in the north, but we're between, between towns here. There and because I have to, from time to time, there's meetings. There's, uh, yeah. you know, somebody's stealing sand from the land, somebody's doing this, and so you have to be on your toes. You have to be on your toes. Yeah. And was earlier on when you spoke about the archaeologist, was that a joke or was that for real? 
No, no, I was just trying to break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to break the ice. No, no, I'm not in a relationship with an archaeologist. <laughs> so you have to be watch your skull, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Here comes your next choice, which is uh, Billie Holiday, One for My Baby. Billie Holiday, One for My Baby. Yes, I think that song does justice to the musical life of which uh, the artist Billie Holiday was a part. She was just amazing, you know. Uh, and what I loved about her music is that every song was exploited to its full measure of misery. You know, she just wore her heart on her sleeve. You know, her music reminds me of when I was young and my mother would send for me to go get her a glass of water. And I happened to put in too much. And due to careless handling of the water on my way back to her, it spills over, which is what she did with each and every song. You know, she let it all uh, spill over. And, um, and I appreciate it because it takes strength and courage to be able to do that. Again, like uh, Florence Price, it was at a time when uh, putting your best foot forward was the order of the day. So, so you got to appreciate that. She, didn't, she wasn't pandering so much to, to her audience, but you're yeah, living it the living way. So we're coming towards the end of the program now, and we've got one more piece of music coming up, but I just want you to remind, have you got a website? I did at some point, but you know, you know, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Mr. Richard, the land thing really took a toll on, yeah. on me, and then I had to temporarily 86 myself from, from the industry so that I can give it my undivided attention. Uh, to a point where now we are working with a consultancy that's helping a lot to finalize the claim. So I'm I'm now doing things again, and you know, so I will be taking uh, great care of that. Yeah. <laughs> great. And your last choice then is uh, Baba Mal. Um, so just tell us briefly about this. Uh, it's actually yeah. This was a, it's actually a song, Felakuti song originally. Uh, Baba Mal and Taj Mahal were the guys who did a cover. Like this song comes from a, a tribute album by a hip hop artist in honor of Fela Kuti, who, if I have to use the soil test analogy, like he his music passed with flying colors, the standard compaction procedures, because he was the son of the soil of Nigeria, and uh, his songs mostly most of his songs were about you know. Uh, complications that beset like a lot of uh, ex-colonial African countries and the outsiders' clumsy attempts to to resolve those problems. But as we know today, I mean, uh, not all African solutions for African problems uh, bear fruit because we still don't know how Bushiri escaped South Africa. So, <laughs> but yeah, he was he was an amazing amazing a genius as well at, at what he did. So. I appreciate it a lot. So here it is, Baba Mal and Taj Mahal. That's the Fela Kuti song performed by Baba Mal and Taj Mahal, the final choice of Ronnie Modimola. So it just remains for me to say thank you for taking the time to come in and talk to us. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Richard. And you're a legend yourself. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's good to have, you know, to be in your presence. I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's lovely to have you on the program and to talk to us about comedy and your life and where we all fit together in this great web that is South Africa. Yeah. And what a great place to live. It is an amazing place to live. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
Thank you. And thank you at home for listening. You've been listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. Don't forget I'll be back each weekday night with full works from 7 to 10, except on a Friday when it's from 6 to 9. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, as I was reminded, a good reminder, (laughs) Classic 1027, we say good night and thank you.